Hello, everyone. This is the DMZ America podcast for Tuesday, September 21st. And I'm Ted Rawl coming to you from the left wing of the political aisle. And I'm Scott Stannis coming to you from the right wing of the aisle, I guess. Yeah, this is the, what, the seventh time we've recorded the intro. So yes, we're, we're a little punchy. You're now listening to the 14th critical hour of the uh, zeroth minute of this podcast, but hopefully we'll get through it uh, without our brains exploding and melting down like a certain president that we just saw at the United Nations. President Joe Biden addressed the United Nations today and announced that America is back. Didn't he say that before? So is it back again? It's backer than it's ever been back, Ted. It's more back. (laughs) It's, it's got the ex- backest of the you're back. saying you're saying America is like JLo. America's got back. America's got back. It twerks its way into the hearts of its allies. We, we probably um, do have the. Do you think Americans have the largest uh, by volume ass size of any oh my uh, nationality? God. I mean, you we just got to be competing for it. You just came back from France, and yeah. the first time I went to France, um, you know, they're lithe, they're beautiful, they're slender. Worm. And then you come back to America and there's these big lumbering slabs of beef <laughs> oozing it, around the airport, just going, oh, my God. It's true. But to be fair, I'll never forget the last trip. The last trip we were in France, um, there's this woman, sad to say, obese, wearing tennis shoes. I go, oh, God, that's an American. What? And then I heard her <laughs> perfect Parisian French. I go, oh, oh no. my. Maybe Sacre she's just bleu. really... Maybe she's just really paid attention in high school French class. Yeah, I guess. I could be. But you and I can not. also pick off the Parisian accent. Anyway, so Joe, right, Biden, let's get Joe Biden at Joe the Biden UN. Speech, I mean, he's Back going in, to the United Nations. He's met with some of the guys. But the thing is, he's not staying there. He's giving his speech and leaving, which tells you that confirming once again that his people are pretty confident that he can't carry on a conversation with someone. Well, in fairness, okay, so there's not really a, a Q&A ever at a UN speech, right? They just show up at the General Assembly. They give the, they give the speak, speech, but like, yeah, they meet usually with, with key foreign leaders yeah. uh, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the off hours. And uh, they play the important role of, of snarling all the traffic on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Well, you got to do that. Um, but Joe Biden standing there and saying, America is back and you can you can trust us. I mean, look, at, I mean, we've got two major stories that say, yeah, can't. You've got the Afghanistan withdrawal, which was screwed up as badly. Wait, as- what do you mean? There was, was there was a problem with that? Oh, my God, Ted, I know I know you're getting it, too, but I'm I obviously- I'd like to welcome you, welcome you aboard a flight, a doomed flight 007 <laughs> from uh, Kabul to uh, Cut Cutter. Uh, you you if you are sitting in the wing section, we'd like to make a special shout out to you in the wheel. Well, uh, <laughs> please sit back and uh, enjoy the flight. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so we screwed that up. And now you've got, and we talked about this in a previous podcast, the uh, submarine deal, which we fucked over our allies, the French, which seems like a bad idea. Um, the story being that uh, Australia is buying more submarines. They had already signed, inked a deal with France, which apparently produces submarines, which came as a surprise to me, but okay. Uh, and then America steps in and says, no, no, no. Oh, contraire, mon frere. You need, to, <laughs> you need to buy good old American submarines. And, you know, of course, the French are going, what? The what? 
And so, so apparently the way this the works among, ar- no. arms, uh, among allied arms dealers, I, I have come to learn, is they are supposed to talk to each other uh, before they try to undercut each other. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I'm, you know, let's say you're France or Europe, you've seen what under Trump, what that has meant, which is nothing. Um, you look at the Mideastern allies, which apparently you can actually kidnap, kill and cut into pieces columnists from the Saudi columnists who work for the Washington post. Um, so you couple all with, these with a green so card. I'd like to point out, he was, uh, Almost yeah. pretty much almost an American citizen. I mean, when and we did nothing for this about that resident. Yeah, because, you know, oil. Um, yeah. Biden hasn't done shit about it either. No, uh, and so he's not we, going to. And so he goes forward. So, low. I mean, if you're an ally, I'm using the air quotes, which is always effective in podcasting. But if you're an ally, I mean, do you trust this country anymore? Well, I don't think you ever could. And it's great if everybody sort of sees things for what they are. But I think, you know, the, the real um, the news angle here for us is really what does American foreign policy look like in the post-war on terror phase? I mean, the U.S. is now effectively out of Iraq. Uh, we are effectively, well, we are out of Afghanistan. Um, so the question is, you know, what direction is Biden in specifically and the United States in general, in other words, allowing for the possibility of Republican presidents, maybe Trump or whoever, um, you know, how how are things going to pivot? Are we going to be looking more internally, uh, more isolationist, um, or are we paying more attention to our own problems? Or are we going to find other places to fuck around with? Well, I think we can't ignore the threat that China is definitely posing to the world, uh, particularly in its theater, its theater of operation currently in the uh, South China Sea, where it's building islands, which I think is brilliant, by the way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this because I think they're doing they're, it's right, but I just think it's it's such a dick move and so brilliant that, you know, and they obviously build islands in you know, seas that are. OK, but what's the threat? Uh, you know, I, I always hear. Both Democrats and Republicans talk about the threat posed by China, but I don't see anything beyond the emergence of a regional economic powerhouse. I don't see a military threat. I mean, China's never been expansionist in any meaningful way militarily. Well, I think the Vietnamese would disagree with you. Yeah, a little, just a little. I mean, come on. They, they literally they had a little border conflict worth nothing in 1980, right? That's nothing. Compared to the U.S., I mean, hello. What? But I think the Chinese have a economic threat, and that is extensive throughout the world. Um, How's it a threat? They're just because competing. It's a threat to American interests, which means it's a threat to American businesses. They're just America. competing. They're just competing. You're a capitalist, right? Yeah. No, I don't. Uh, some of it I don't have a problem with. Some of it I do. Um, but they're also here's. I mean, the they're thing. not doing what they're not doing what the Japanese did, like with. Uh, you know, violating international norms like dumping steel and stuff like that. They're not undercutting markets. Oh, yeah, they are. I th- They're I just cutting good you. deals. No, I disagree with the the. They're under significantly undervaluing the yen, their their currencies, which means uh, goods and services from their country. That is true. They are doing that. So that's 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 not good practice. And they go, but they're doing something that is frustrating. But not illegal. And that is they're outsmarting us, Ted. They're going to do things like that's not hard when your competitor is the United States. No, it really isn't. When the United States politically business, all of it is is looks like at most two years down the road. Right. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, more likely. Yeah, more likely just than this fiscal quarter. Right, and the Chinese are looking 20, 50. Uh, I mean, they, they have they literally have programs in Africa and Latin and South America that have a one hundred year um, uh, uh, schedule. So, yeah. I mean, it's just brilliant. They recognize that. Um, this century is going to be the Chinese century. And that's now, is that a threat? Is that a military threat? I think it certainly is a political threat because their, their governance is not- I mean, not... can we say, I'm just trying to push back. I keep pushing back I, against I get it. the no, I get it. Go ahead. I mean, can we say challenge? Can we say, I mean, you know, I mean, like, look, it's, it's like the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was never a threat. The Soviet Union did not want to invade or nuke or bomb the United States or its allies. It did uh, not. That's not true. They they stockpiled tons of missiles aimed at Western yeah, Europe. To defend themselves against us. But they were not trying to, they, they weren't really a threat. They were a challenge. They were a rival. I mean, I think that's that's what we need to, as Americans, we're like little, we're like, cre- like scared little chipmunks where every time someone else comes out of their hole and walks around, we're like, oh my God, it's King Kong. It's not King Kong. It's just, there's just another country pursuing their interests just the way we do. I mean, well, what's wrong yeah, with that? I mean, Brazil is a threat by the same standard, right? I mean, they're doing the same, they're, they're a big country. They have a big economy. They're right here in our hemisphere. Well, not exactly the same. I mean, I think th- the thing about threat is it implies military and it, and it kind of leads us to a bad place. I, I'm just trying to be, a, you know, Careful. No, no, no. I get what you're saying, but I disagree with you. I think you're also revising history a little bit by saying the Soviet Union was not a threat. They were an overt threat. They were an ideological threat and uh, a literal military threat throughout the world and would support dictatorial or totalitarian yeah, states. Not like us. Well, please, Ted, come on. <laughs> of course they did. Of course they did. And so we- Well, we, they did. No, I'm saying, I'm just saying like, okay, so, but I, again, I don't think- they po- look, if the Soviet Union had been able to do whatever they wanted and we had never pushed back, we never would have had a red dawn scenario. You know, I mean, the no American would ever have lost any freedoms whatsoever. Nothing bad would have happened. That's all I'm saying. No, but you would have had more totalitarianism, certainly pushing forward eastward in Europe, which was clearly their intent. Um, their you know, filling around not just in Cuba, but in other parts of C- Central and South America. I mean, they yeah, well, were... we, we kind of threw Cuba away, didn't we? I mean, Fidel Castro loved the United States and wanted to be allied with us. And, uh, you know, Dull- Dulles said to fuck off. So, you know, he we pushed him into the arms of the Russians. Well, but when you were also had some communist sympathies, uh, being an ally with the United States would seem a little peculiar, to say the least. Um, no, we didn't. Under, we never, as we saw in Vietnam, the United States never understood the difference between nationalism and uh, socialism. You know, I mean, these were nationalist movements first and foremost, and social with and they the fact that they were socialist didn't affect us. We should have made friends with them. I mean, we, we've been friends with all sorts of regimes, like, say, Saudi Arabia, that we don't share okay, uh, fundamental values with. Fair enough. And I think, too, you look at Afghanistan going in there with eyes wide open versus we're going to make you a democracy. We don't want to be one. <laughs> Indeed you do. <laughs> no, no, you don't understand. We have no history of that. Yeah, we get that. And we're 100% behind you. 
what <laughs> you know it's like right but wait so come on how is china so okay so all right i'm gonna i'm gonna drop this bone right now but i mean i think we're gonna come back to it in the future. i think we're gonna come back to china it so in stantis world china's the threat of china so yes. and uh in raw world the challenge perhaps possibly the challenge of china maybe it doesn't even have to be a challenge maybe we can just be friends and carve up the world with them you know kind of like uh yalta that's a possibility as well. But I, I, the Chinese don't. The, the Chinese are winning. Why in the name of God? I mean, that's the problem. If, with, if you're winning, why in the name of God do you negotiate with the people whose ass you're kicking? Well, why would kicking they, their ass. The, well the Chinese definitely want to negotiate. I mean, they know that we're dangerous. Um, no country on earth is or ever has been as dangerous or invady as us. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. We're some scary In, motherfuckers. We really invady? are. Invady? Is that what you did? You just yeah. Say we're invady. We're like invady and bummy <laughs> and sanctiony. Like we're like real assholes, you know. Well, we're the top dog, man. I mean, that's what you get to do when you're to, when you you know are the last real superpower left. I think China is a threat, but we're we're have to come back to that. But going back to the original point, which I think which you raised, which I think is really relevant. What should be the point of American foreign policy? Hmm. Is it just like you said, is it Fortress America? Is it just like, you know what, we're going to you know, care about what happens within the confines of the United States? Are we going to stop being the friggin' police men from the world? Are we going to stop getting involved in every goddamn thing, you know, uprising that happens around the globe? I happen to be before World War II, I would have been one of those guys, I'm afraid. I would have been one of those Republicans who was like isolationism. Listen, you know, Europeans are losing their friggin' minds again. Fuck them. Let's not let's ignore them. And if we didn't kind of mess with the oil supply to Ch Japan, we probably would have gotten away with it. That's totally true. Yeah. People don't and, people. How many Americans do you think even know that Pearl Harbor was really kind of it followed a, a U.S. oil embargo of Japan. It, that that would never have happened if not for our oil embargo. No, but I think too. Don't you think it was the uh, Roosevelt administration pushing China, Japan to react so we could become more and more involved in the world conflict? Well, that was certainly true in the Atlantic. They did. They definitely wanted that. Um, I don't get the impression that that the that FDR wanted a two front war. Um, but he heard about what the J Japanese were doing in China. I mean, the, the, the right. rape of King, and I mean, just the horrific war crimes they were committing. And not to mention, like, just leapfrogging from one from one uh, island to the uh, to the next, right? I mean, they took oh, yeah. the but East. particularly its adventurism in China and its 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 horrific administration. They even posed a threat to Australia. Now that was a threat. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so getting back to, uh, but I would have been, like I said, if I was, a re if I was around in 1930s, I would have been, you know, fuck them. We, we, we made the mistake of jumping into their war once before. So where are you now? I'm right back. <laughs> I'm a 1936 Republican. I say, you are, I am. Fortress I really America, Pat Buchanan. Yes. I really do think we have, we, we do have, we, you know, 9-11, being the exception, we have the advantage of having an ocean on both sides of us that insulate us pretty significantly from armed conflicts from both, you know, Asia and Europe. And let's just fix things here. But, you know, we can't agree on that. I mean, um, I think I, I kind of, uh, you know, look, I kind of uh, come close. I'm surprised that you're where you are because I'm uh, I feel it until the United States has most of its problems figured out. 
that we shouldn't be in the business of uh, telling other countries how to live their lives. Um, and we, as long as we have, you know, I walk outside my apartment and I see dudes sleeping outside all night. As, as long as I still see that, I don't really see how we're in a place to be telling other countries what to do. I really don't. Yeah, for me, where it comes from is the Iraq war, which was, I was all for it. I wasn't for it for the reasons they said that, you know, weapons of mass destruction or any of that stuff. I was there because I thought confronting and, and getting rid of dictators is a good idea. However, was, you know, in however, the case of, in the case of Iraq, in the case of anything, the United gotta, States put him in there in the first place. I mean, you and you can't subtract people who are running a country and running it fairly efficiently, quite frankly. True. Um, without, have, without knowing what comes next. You got to have you got to know what the what the fuck you're doing. And they didn't know, Ted. They And you know, this. Well, they did they the same with, thing in Afghanistan. They didn't know exactly. what they were doing either. They had no idea. I mean, how, actually, how, they actually in Afghanistan, they actually had someone who was ready to go. The, the, the uh, exiled king was going to be a caretaker. He was popular. Um, it would have worked. And then, uh, you know, we put the kibosh on that. So, I mean, how many how many people in the Bush administration and the federal government and in the, in the, in the State Department were shocked to learn that Iraq is literally three different countries, Sunni, Shia and Kurd? Yeah, and, and you can slice it a few other ways too, um, provincially. So, so I think, um, you know, the, I, I do think that American foreign policy should be more inward looking, more defensive. Um, I do think that we probably want to be deeply engaged. You know, I always think that the, the French policy traditionally has been to try to have diplomatic relations with every country it possibly can. That that's a, goes back to when France was sort of, the French kind of had the international language of diplomacy. Right. Um, and I think, you know, that's kind of a model I think the U.S. should be aiming for, where, you know, we talk to everybody, we understand that problems can arise overseas, but generally we should really respect um, self-determination. Uh, and I think the only time I start to think about intervention as a viable alternative is when you're talking about things like the Holocaust or another type of genocide, you know, perhaps the Armenian genocide would have been something that uh, the world should have interfered with, um, you know, Rwanda, um, you know, argue possibly you could argue for Kosovo. I think maybe that one's a little bit iffy, but well, no. what, were the, what the Serbians were doing in uh, Kosovo, I mean, uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina. Yeah. I mean, but that's one of those instances where you get a, you know, a bunch of your allies together and say, we this all agree. A, it should be UN, white helmets, allies. Oh, yeah. those powder blue helmets are so pussy. Come on. I hate that. Oh my God. God. Yeah, they're 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 weird. I've I've seen them on the ground uh, in Afghanistan uh, with their pl UN planes, um, which are also just very Spartan. You know, they're white. Those planes are huge. They fly like uh, Boeing seven sixty sevens, and they're like just white with a big UN written on the side. I'm like, you guys can't do better than that. You can't even like like what about that cool seal? Uh, the UN seal is awesome. It is, but it's on a light blue. I yeah. would change the color blue, but that's my vexiologist. And dark blue would be better. Moving forward, we're going to talk very briefly about the Homeland Security chief condemning the border actions of a guy on horseback whipping black people. How is I that wrong? Could, oh, wait. I think, a lot, <laughs> I think a lot of us can get on board. We can make this a very brief segment. I think you and I can agree that that's bad. It's not just bad optics. It's literally bad. 
No, it, it, it is bad. And obviously anyone who does that one time needs to be immediately uh, fired or at least just let's just, let's just say a suspended pending a full investigation just to see if the video is authentic. Um, you know, if it's not, uh, you know, deep fake or something, but seriously, um, the part that I thought was interesting about that story um, is the fact that once again, the response of an official, like this is against our values. You know, the head of the Department of Homeland Security, you know, said that he was, uh, he didn't say appalled, but basically disturbed or something um, by this video and that he was going to investigate it. And it said that when those aren't our values. And, you know, we hear that every time there's police brutality that violates our values, um, you know, or when like a drone blows up an innocent U.S. Afghan uh, aid worker uh, and his seven children, that that goes against our values. And after a while, when we do a lot of shit that goes against our values routinely, is it really against our values? <laughs> you know, I'm a Sartrean. I think we are what we do. What we say doesn't matter. We are the sum total of our actions. That's how you assess ethics. Yeah, well, that's a Kantian view as well, which is, you know, your actions are more important than what you think. Well, you know, I hope I'm a good person. Oh, by the way, I'm going to go slaughter my neighbors. Socrates said to be an honest man, act as though you were an honest man. <laughs> you know, in other words, what's in your, in your heart doesn't fucking matter. You yeah. know, it's what you do. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Uh, in immigration, a quick note here, a side note, and this is salient, I promise, Ted, mm. is here in, here in Alabama, where I currently live, um, this came out that more people last year died in the state than were born here. First time in history. First is that, is that due to COVID? I think it's due to a lot of factors, not least of which is people are may having a lot fewer babies. Mm. And the... Um, uh, uh, baby boomers are now getting to the age where, you know, we actually are dying. So is this an Alabama story uniquely, or is it true in other it's got, states it's the as first, well? It's the first state in the union that's, that this is true. And so it's going to get, you know, it's got it's to, I mean, I've got to be looking at the poverty rate there, which is, you know, it not it tied with Mississippi as like the worst in the country? It's up there, not just poverty, but also obesity, smoking, uh, no prenatal care, lack of and surprisingly, care. it's a Republican state, huh? Yeah, the yeah. most Republican. Hmm. Yes. Huh. Hmm. How about that? That can't be. <laughs> there can be no correlation there. My point is that immigration, you know, as we you know, shut down the borders and we're having the immigration crisis on the border. I'm a capitalist, <laughs> unapologetic, and uh, the way you grow an economy is either birth rate which is going down for virtually every segment of the country mm. or immigration. Right. We've always done it through immigration. You know, the economy boomed in the middle part of the 19th century in America because the Irish showed up. Correct. Um, and the Italians and everyone else. Yes. Italians later in that century. And the Chinese. God bless them. I mean, just to talk about the, the, the Chinese immigration, it always kills me. 10,000 Chinese worked on the transcontinental railroad. That famous photograph of the golden spike being driven. Mm. Not one Asian face in there. Not one. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. like it's like well, they're like well, we did all the other spikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, let us do one. And they probably said, okay, you can do one. Which one is it? Don't worry. It's that's really. You guys take a break on this last one. We got you. <laughs> we whites, we're here for you. Don't worry. You guys... As we have been for so so often. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, 
Yeah. Yeah. So again, men on horseback, whipping black guys. And the thing is, from what we can tell so far, the Haitians were coming across to grab food that had been left for, for, for immigrants and were taking it back to their families. I mean, that was, that, that was their temerity of their actions. By the way, it's, and I think this has been, as usual, the media is, is doing a shitty job covering the story because it's kind of confusing. Like, well, why Haitians in particular, why at this particular border crossing, as opposed to there are many other border crossings with Mexico, why via Mexico? And I only heard this in one place and it came, you know, blinked and you miss it. I don't know if you heard it, Scott, no. but basically there's, um, there, it's a social media um, rumor. Basically some dude did this crossing, some Haitian guy, and he wrote a very detailed set of instructions for, for Haitian refugees in, in uh, Central America and Mexico to follow in order to make it to Del Rio. So people are just following this, but it, it exploded online and people are just following these instructions point by point. That's why they're all there. So it's kind of a tech story too. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, everyone's got a phone, right? I mean, that's so they've got, they're looking at the story go, oh, this is where we go. Right. I, it's just, uh, we've, our immigration. What would home. you do? What would you do about those um, people? I mean, I, I kind of think like every time I fly across the United States, I become extremely unsympathetic to the argument that there's not enough room in the United States for oh, more Oh, God, people. horse horse crap. There's tons of room. We and have like room. I said, I want my economy to grow. My country is made of immigrants. Ted, your mother came And it's mostly France. empty. Both of my, three of my four grandparents immigrated here. I like immigrants. I'm all for them. And so- And let's, let's, put, this in, and let's put this into perspective. So China has almost exactly the same area as the United States- um, to almost the same. Um, if you, if, but with China, it would be if Alaska were attached, you know, to the U S like basically, uh, well it is, but you know, uh, if it was, if yeah. it was contiguous and so we have the square, same square mileage basically, but with China, something that people don't realize is only basically the West, the Eastern fourth of the country is habitable. The rest of it's all desert and scrub. Uh, there's just, you can't live there really. So uh, you have their population is 1.2 billion. Ours is um, a bit over 300 million. So their population's nearly four times higher than ours. Yeah. But they've got a lot less arable land than we do. I mean, they probably have, uh, you know, one third as much. So, uh, and, you know, when you go to China, it's not like they're all, you know, piled up on top of each other and except for like big mega cities like Shanghai. Um, you know, they have the room. And so if they have the room for 1.2 billion people in a third of the area that we do, we certainly have the room to take 10,000 Haitians. Yeah. Well, um, PJ O'Rourke wrote about the overpopulation scare. I mean, it was like, do you remember in the seventies and eighties that we're oh, yeah. going to going back to Thomas Malthus. And the, he, he made, he made the exact same point you just made, which was there's a lot of room a lot of resources. I mean, if we're smart, which, you know, we've shown absolutely no indication of that, but if we got smart, yeah, we could handle, we could handle this. So what would I do with, I would manage it. Like I've always said with a small L liberal policy of, you know, make sure that they get vaccinated, make sure that they, you know, we know who they are. Yeah, maybe you definitely want to check. You definitely want to check backgrounds. We don't want to admit, you know, people who are guilty, who have been convicted of serious crimes, for example. Exactly. Exactly. You swab their cheek, they have a card, they have an immigrant, and you let them in and you let them work. I mean, I would, I would even go so far as to say, look, uh, maybe they have to wear an ankle bracelet for a year or whatever. 
um, you know, if they're- Well, they have cell phones. I mean, you can track that. Yeah, but people can leave their cell phone at home if they want. Okay, but you know, you, yeah. there are ways to do this that are very, very easy to do. So let's move on to the final. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing because it is so fucked up. The debt ceiling crisis. Oh, yeah. Which, every, what, every year or two, this comes up? Well, it's and- a new, this is a, this started about 10 years ago, right? It used to be routine that both parties would just uh, run up the deficit and then even, and they kind of knew they were both in it, on it together and they would uh, routinely vote to, it, Congress would vote to uh, increase the debt ceiling. And then about 10 years ago, the Republicans started using it as a bargaining chip against Obama. And um, and so they didn't. And, and there was a if, if I'm not mistaken, at least once there was an actual government shutdown. No, the national Clinton. parks were closed. Or was it under Clinton? Yeah. And it's happened since. And the it's, there's the been a couple time. of times. Yeah. yeah. So and so now this time, what I find really confusing about it is that did I hallucinate this? I'm like Winston Smith in 1984. But I thought last week, Mitch McConnell said, don't worry about it. We're in, we'll, we'll vote for, to do this. This is not going to be a thing. The full faith and credit of the United States Treasury is, is always going to be respected by us. And now, this week, uh, not so much? Yeah. No, he is. Um, Mitch McConnell has come out and said that he is going to let the U.S. default on its debt. Uh, the Democrats need uh, need 10 GOP votes to avoid a filibuster. And he said today that he's not or yesterday that he's not going to allow that to happen. So obviously, I have to speculate that there, he's getting pressure from inside from the right wing of his own conference. Uh, oh, yeah, they're they're leaning yeah. on him. He he would if it were if he had his druthers, whatever a druther is, uh, he would <laughs> he would be uh, fine. He would be fine increasing it. But like the the ideologues inside the Trumpies inside the party are saying yet. Well, as a Republican, as a conservative for years, they would vote for these extensions. Right. I mean, the, the debt ceiling was a joke. Um, it was supposed to instill some kind of fiscal discipline. And, you know, every time it came up, they would just vote in mass and just, you know, almost it's in probably unison. good that they do have to vote on it just so that it's kind of like. Oh, yeah. They know how much they owe. It's like getting a bill every month from your credit card. Well, now they're the Republicans all of a sudden. And this is following four years of spending like drunken Democrats. I'm sorry. They were just irresponsible in terms of of building up the national debt, in terms of just parties are equally guilty. No question about it. And have been for decades. But when you stand there and you say, I'm the fiscally responsible and you're doing that now and you have and I mean, that's how stupid Americans can be is that they, they're looking at the last four years of, of some of the most irresponsible wants and spending we've had in the history of the country. So this is by far, Scott, the biggest crisis we've had in this area, because you really can sort of feel it. Uh, the Democrats are in no mood to negotiate. They're not going to roll like Obama's people did. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're pissed and they just don't want to. So I really see, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, what do you think? I think they're going to shut down the government. Um, I think they're fucking idiots. The Republicans are going to see this as a way to embarrass the Biden administration. And I think it will. It will also. uh, It's going to embarrass the United States is what it's going to do. Well, it's going to weaken the administration. They don't care. This is real. This is red meat politics. This is a way to show that this administration is inept, that is impotent. And I don't know that either one of those is entirely accurate. 
inaccurate. <laughs> you, you, oh, you mean inaccurate. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, I, look, I think it is accurate. And I think there are ways that Biden could handle this. Um, you know, this is about messaging. At this point, the Democrats would really need to do a PR campaign where they call out the Republicans for being a bunch of assholes. But he but, can't, Ted. Joe Biden can't get out there. He gets out no. there once every two or three days. That's what he's capable of. I'm sorry, I sound like such an asshole when I talk like this, but it's the absolute truth that this guy cannot go out more than one day in like in front of a live audience. Oh, he can do it. He just chooses never to do it. <laughs> I don't think he can. I don't no, he can't do it. I'm just being sarcastically able to do it. He does a lot of um, internet videos. So he can do those when they're scripted and, they, and you can have to, yeah. okay, take 13. I've, I've read that some of those had like 17 takes and stuff. I can believe. Oh, really? I can believe it. Hi, I'm Joe Baloney. Oh, God. <laughs> no, Joe Biden. That's Who like us that? at the beginning of our podcast today. Even, <laughs> even, even we got it going after four, I think. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah. And I, I, I think when I'm as old as Joe Biden, do, if I run for president, do not vote for me. This is a message to the future. Um, so uh, I'll be too fucking old. That's all. Um, so, yeah, so he so he can't do it. I mean, and there's no other Democratic surrogates who can apparently do it and, either. And this is the bully pulpit. Well, look at who the other high profile Democrats are. It's Nancy Pelosi, who's in her 80s. Yeah. And well, she just, could do it, but she doesn't have the oomph. She doesn't. She must be. I, I mean. She must be spectacular behind closed doors because she continues to be the Speaker of the House and the leader of the Democrats. My assumption is that she's very good at counting votes, of whipping her caucus into shape. I believe that completely. But as a national figure, she is reviled. She is not liked. And that's, by the way, but in fairness, the Speaker of the House often is that is that person. Tip O'Neill never could have been elected president. No, but he was- Newt Gingrich obviously never could get elected president. Well, I think- Tip O'Neill was liked, I mean, not by Republicans, but I think there was something about him that was like a bull. Yeah, but seemed, he, he still didn't have that role of, of, of uh, promulgating policy. I don't know. I thought um, I thought the speakers before him, I'm trying to remember, little guy, oh, guy from Oklahoma, whose name I cannot remember because, you know, COVID. Um, but I, he was respect. I mean, you know, you had some speakers who had some respect, some speakers who were nominated for president, as you know as a political item collector yourself. That's um, true. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of them. I was name I can't remember, like James Polk, I believe was Speaker of the House. Um, Are you thinking of Charles McCall? No, no, that's someone else. No, no, no. I'm thinking of the Speaker before uh, Tip O'Neill. And it was, mm. oh my God, I can't I'm looking for it. House Speakers. Historic. Oh, nothing's more interesting than listening to someone look something up on the internet. Yes, that's so true. <laughs> so true. Um, but you also had, don't forget back then, you had a couple of things going for the speaker, which could make him a, a powerful figure. You didn't have the media. You didn't have the 24-hour news cycle. You didn't have a bunch of bloggers and other people. And, and you had a 60-40 split in the House. You know, sixty percent, forty percent house, and in the Senate. Oh, you're thinking of Sam Rayburn? No, that was long before. I'm thinking between Sam Rayburn and um, Tip O'Neill, um, uh, John McCormick, Carl Albert. Carl Albert. Carl Albert was the Speaker of the House when I was a kid. I remember him, little guy. Is but um, he looks like a little guy. He was a little guy, a little, little po- a pocket person, a pocket speaker. <laughs> 
pocket speaker who lived to be 92 years old. Yo. Jeez, yeah, I knew he was there for. Ever. Oh my God. At 5'4, he was affectionately known as the little giant from Little Dixie. <laughs> I don't even know how I can top that. You know, you can't. Uh, nobody so ever saw his, hopefully, nobody ever saw his little Dixie on a Zoom call. <laughs> um, so, on that note, <laughs> that high note as it were <laughs> so yeah so okay so so you think the government's going to be shut down yeah. question b and then we should close out uh yeah. do you think the republicans or the democrats or both will take the blame uh historically republicans have always gotten blamed for shutting down the government yeah i think yeah clearly because the democrats um you know like government uh republicans allegedly do not unless it's you know telling you what to do with your body um, so are they going to put the blame? I mean, that's the thing, Ted, the blame doesn't matter anymore. None of this fucking matters you know, because, well, it matters for, it matters for swing voters for the four of them. Yeah. Literally there is literally, I think someone I was watching one of them Sunday morning shows and they looked at the polls. There's literally less than, it's like 3.8% of the electorate now are swing voters. Yeah. Yeah. And those, well, you know, so in Republican districts, in Republican states- That's what people don't understand when they say like, oh, well, you know, why did everyone vote for Donald Trump? I'm like, because they were Republicans and he was a Republican for and the most Democrats, part. And Democrats didn't show up to vote. Right. Five right. million fewer votes in 2016. For Although they did, they did show up in 2020. Democrats, oh, both yes, parties did. showed up in, in vast numbers, which is kind of amazing considering, you know, the fact that it was difficult to vote in person at the polls. And I think what happened in California was a wake-up call as well for many Democrats who thought, you know, ah, screw it, this, you know, Newsom's going to win. And then the polls showed, oh, wait, it's neck and neck. But wait, he did win overwhelmingly. He did because the Democrats went, oh, shit, I guess we should vote. Right. I think I think the, the California, first of all, my having, as, as you, you've lived there a lot longer than I did, but when I was there... I definitely, you know, one of the things I noticed about California politics is that people have long memories there. And I think they really did remember the Gray Davis recall and how nobody thought, you know, he could really lose and that Arnold Schwarzenegger of all people would come in and, and, and replace him. And he did. So they're like, that could happen again. And it's not that Schwarzenegger was a bad governor. He wasn't. He was actually a pretty good governor, but it's yeah. just, I mean, better than you'd expect. And I, uh, Okay, here's my prediction du jour. Uh-huh drumroll is that california will have next election cycle will have a republican governor oh that's an interesting governor question. it won't be a batshit crazy trumpy is newsom you know, about to be uh, term limited out i don't know but i believe that the taxes have become so onerous i mean we talked about i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna take that bet dude uh steak dinner okay. or any dinner of your choice no fucking way because like california only like 35 percent of registered voters in california are republicans there's no way and the well, state party has no support it has no alliances in the media even the oc register isn't reliably republican anymore i think if they come if you have okay here it's a, there's a provisio but i'm not going to make it under the bet has been made so a meal right. of the winner's choice um but if a Republican who's fairly moderate steps forward, but addresses fiscal issues solely, not the social bullshit, mm. but the fiscal issues, I think he or she will do extremely. This is like, OK, I, I want to ask you this. Oh, shit. Before we leave, I'm sorry. Okay. I really wanted to get your take on this. I'm, I saw the first commercial for, how do you say it? Sliwa? Sliwa? Curtis Sliwa. 
Curtis Lewa, who's the Republican conservative guy running against. Not that conservative, but yeah, he's the Republican nominee for mayor. Right. In New he's York the City. Founder of the Guardian Angels. He wears the red beret. And OK, is he going to wear it if he becomes. And he's mayor? a former and he's a former talk show host, too. Yeah, he's very good. I mean, his, he's uh, very good. He was on with Ron Kuby, my, my buddy. So does he I mean, I think he's got an excellent shot at winning. Oh, wait, what? You you don't? Look at, let's, let's look at the polls. Um, let's okay. see. Kuby. Let's call up the polls. And I'll tell you what my thinking is while you're looking that up is that. Again, New Yorkers are looking at homeless situ- homelessness is getting out of control. Violence is getting out of control. These are all issues that are going to go into Sliwa's wheelhouse. No, that's uh, look, look, if there were, I think basically common sense dictates that, um, you know, he should win, um, that, that Sliwa should have a chance. But I just don't. Wow. I don't see recent polls available here. Really? Um, because you have a nominee for, from, for the I don't know that they're like really even. Isn't the nominee for the Democrats the, he was the uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, Eric Borough. Adams, the Brooklyn Borough president, um, African-American, former uh, major police official. Uh, yeah, so let's Okay, see. so he's got law and order cred too. I mean, I'm, all things being equal, being a cop doesn't necessarily mean you're for law and order, but um. Wow, it's crazy. They're like not even polling this race at all, at all. It's like the the media are not paying for polls because they want, clearly they think it's over. They don't think. So you you seen the first commercial from Sliwa? It's kind of silly. He's he's holding his cat. Well, he has many cats. Does he? he? Yeah, no, he's famous for his numerous cats. He's kind of a crazy cat lady. He has like 16 cats or something like that in his one bedroom apartment, which oh, God. Oh, no, I love cats. So, but that's too many cats. That's too many cats. I can't vote for anybody. No, I would them. totally vote for him. I mean, he, he can move into Gracie Mansion and then the cats can like run. I, he's the only Republican that I've ever been tempted to vote for because I met him. Uh, I, I liked him. Um, I think he's a... Uh, Eric Adams makes my skin crawl. Um, really? Why? Former cop. Um, he's he talks like sort of Giuliani, like a black Giuliani. Um, he's like he's like we don't need a New York City is not about aggressive policing. New York City is about a live and let live where basically the cops are here to take care of serious shit. We don't need cops writing tickets for jaywalking and squeegee men uh, and for, you know, blocking the box. We need cops for, you know, rape and murder and drug dealing. Yeah, but didn't the broken glass policing policy of Giuliani- Broken windows, broken Broken windows. Broken windows, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, No, the reason that Giuliani- did so well with reduced with crime reduction was that he was mayor from 1993 to 2001, which correlates with the biggest economic boom in American history at that time and driven by Wall Street, which is in where? New York City. So the money was rolling in. Any idiot who was mayor of New York City from 1993 to 2001 was going to see so much cash rolling in that poverty was going to be alleviated, unemployment was going to drop, and crime was going to go away. And that's what happened. His policies had nothing to do with it. I mean, he just takes credit for it. Well, okay. I mean, he would also take credit or be labeled with respect if things went to shit. I mean, come on. Well, that's true. Um, But, you know, I'm just, and, and I would be the first to say if he was unfairly blamed. But 
he was definitely, uh, you know, uh, I think, look, Giuliani was an interesting guy. I don't think he was the, you know, in some ways, he he definitely did some things right as mayor. He uh, took care of local problems and grievances. But I don't think Eric, Eric Adams is the mayor that we need in 2021. Um, frankly, I think, uh, you know, Curtis Lewa might be. And the fact that, it, you know, you may be right, there may be a crazy upset because no one knows. Literally, um, there is no polling. Nobody in this city actually knows scientifically who's ahead sure of this campaign, race. I'm sure the campaigns are, but I think that. Sure. But, you know, you would think Eric Adams would release the um, would release the, the information, right? Yeah. You were thinking, unless it was shocking. And this comes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is Democrats not voting, or at least, you know, a, a large number. So this is yeah. one of the instances where a small turnout can get you a surprise result. Yeah, right. The only the only info I have here is about the money race, um, you know, where Sliwa has raised $3.5 million uh, and spent $850,000. Eric Adams raised 17 million. But you know, who cares? Donald Trump won the presidency with two million dollars to Hillary Clinton's seven billion dollars. Yeah. I mean, yeah. money's no, not everything. I can throw out um, a better example, 1980. Uh, do you remember who, who could forget John Conley of Texas had 10 people were aghast, Ted. He had 10 million dollars in his war chest. That was unheard of. That's said, true. He is unstable. Stoppable. There is no way that John Connolly is not going to be the nominee of the. He Republican had the Party. value of one of my friend's houses in the Hamptons. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, <laughs> and it's just like, well, gee, President Connolly. Wait, oh, wait, <laughs> money <laughs> isn't everything, and um, he just turned out to be like. I mean, oh, he was the. He and was don't forget the what's jab. Of his generation. That's true. And don't and, and while we're also on that topic, uh, there is also, uh, is it Michael Huffington, uh, Ariana Huffington's uh, former husband, who ran for, uh, I believe it was Senate from California, who was one of the most deep pocketed uh, uh, senatorial candidates in history. And he was completely blown out of the water, perhaps by Dianne Feinstein or. Uh, yeah. 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 So. Or boxer, one of the one of those, one two. Of those two, yeah. And it was, yeah. Him. So yeah, I mean, money is important and it helps. I mean, there's no question. I've worked on campaigns. Some had money, some did not. Money's better. Yes, having money is much better. <laughs> much better. <laughs> so okay, so we're so I'm saying Sleewalk, keep an eye on that race. We're no, I agree that look, he certainly has the chops. Um, and he's and he really feels like, you know. A, he's like a good guy. People like him. Even people who don't want to vote for him like him. That's kind yeah. of hard to beat sometimes. He he was at an event in, in Chicago and I was able to meet him because one of his producers is a friend of mine for his radio show. So we got entree and got to t ch chat with him for a few minutes. And he was, I mean, he impressed my wife like crazy. I mean, it was just like, he's hey, just, hey, 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 don't, don't leave her alone with him. Not well. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Now I have to, every time we go to bed, I have to wear a a beret. beret. Just... Wait, you mean you, you didn't do that already? Any, okay, so anyway, Scott, <laughs> uh, let's take it out. Where can okay. the, where can everyone uh, check out your other stuff besides our wonderful podcast? Oh, well, we can go to gocomics.com slash Scott Stantis, one word, or gocomics.com slash Prickly City and check out my comic strip. Or you can go to the Chicago Tribune, go to the opinion section and stumble onto my gallery there. But 
more and better than all of those is Ted and I participate in this thing called counterpoint.com. Go and subscribe because we, besides just Ted and I, they have excellent, excellent cartoonists. So those are the places. Ted, where can we see you? And right now, I'm just going to say you can check me out on my website, rawl.com. And you might, I just want to put out a shout out to my, uh, one of my books called After We Kill You, We Will Welcome You Back as Honored Guests. Um, now that with the people, a lot of people are focusing on what went wrong in Afghanistan. And I've been getting messages from people who read that book uh, 10 years ago to say, wow, you really called that. So if you kind of want to see uh, a point of view of sort of, uh, the beginning and sort of the middle of the Afghan war and how you could sort of see where we were ultimately going to fail. Uh, you could do worse and you can find that through my website, raw.com. Is it also available on Amazon and all those other all places? those places? Uh, you can order it from your bookstore, Amazon. Give us the name again, please. After we kill you, we will welcome you back as honored guests. Excellent book, by the way. I've, Thank you, Scott. I, I have, you can see behind me, I have the Ted Rawl bookshelf. Well, as every good upstanding American does. So thank you very much, Scott. Uh, well, I'll be talking you. to you again soon. And uh, thank you everybody for listening and see you soon. Bye. Bye.